This is the CHGO Cubs podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. Download the app and use promo code CHGO when you sign up. Hello, everybody. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Friday, March 3rd. Brendan, yes. the Cubs play a real game this month. This month, Corey? You know, it'll be here right before you know it. This, like, relaxed, casual spring training feel, it's already going by fast. Already a week of games. Oh, yeah, you're so relaxed. I am. Well, you know, I try to be relaxed as best as we possible. We have, Brendan, we have an oblique injury. I know. Like, a week into it. None of, nobody's relaxed. I know. I know. Well, yeah. And, like, Steele's kind of, like, setback. I think he's okay. You know, you never know, he man. He said he was feeling better after his bullpen. Uh, I think he threw middle of the week, feeling fine today. So I think that's You fine. know, I wanted to start this podcast off positive, and this is no. not the way to do it. Yeah, we're not happy. Yeah. It. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we will talk about Saya. have a little update on that, but, um, you know, Cody and Luke and Ryan have talked about kind of the initial news that we got, and uh, we're getting a little bit of updates, but as is the case with any kind of injury, especially these obliques, they don't really know, right? Uh, But it doesn't seem horrible. I think at this point now, it's just a question of how slowly and and patient they are. What's Uh, your definition of horrible? To me, this is horrible. Well, I mean, they're still like talking about, you know, I think Jed said today he might likely start the season on the injured list, but just so that they have him healthy for most of the season. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Worst case scenario is it's severe and they're talking about like the all-star break or something like that, right? Well, like that's I don't know. opening day was like still in the discussion, you know, late yeah. in the week. Well, there's, there's even no if they, way. There's no way. Right. But that's fine. You know, I mean, it's cold. He doesn't like the cold in Chicago. He can skip a few series at the beginning of the year. If that's what it is, that's fine. I don't think it's what it we'll, is. Because you're you. But uh, we'll talk about that. Um, we'll talk about some of the pitching performances. There is still, I thought we were kind of done with this, Brendan, but uh, still a persistent rumor that the Cubs may add a left-handed reliever. Uh, and based on the language that Jed Hoyer used, uh, I would go as far to say as they are going to add a left-handed yeah. reliever at some point. If you're listening to this early on Friday morning or later in the afternoon on Friday, they may have already done it. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that and everything else going on uh, as spring training games have gotten underway. Yeah. Uh, but Brendan, I mean, just to start, uh, we have games. Marcus Stroman pitched on Thursday, had a good outing. We're seeing uh, you know, good stuff from guys like Hayden Wisniewski, who I know we'll talk about. Um, early, early going here. How how are you feeling? I feel good. Things? I mean, outside of that injury, the Saya injury, pretty positive. The pitching yeah. looks great. Velocity across the board, like several guys pumping ninety six plus. That's encouraging. Dansby. That's a nice change of pace. That's I a, mean, the, the Cubs no pun have, intended. Yes, right. Yes, the the Cubs have made obviously a concerted effort to revamp their pitching yeah. infrastructure and add more velocity as it was something they were lagging way behind on. But it is nice. I mean, how many of them turn into guys and then, you know, featured members of the bullpen all or whatever we'll see. Yeah, all of them. But it is just nice that they have a larger group of guys that can actually hit the upper 90s uh, in terms of velocity. Yeah, so that's been fun. And then, you know, starting pitching wise, Stroman looks good. Wisniewski looked really good. His yeah. quotes after that start, where he was talking about having a chip on his shoulder, that's the type of attitude I'm referencing when I talk about 
Wisniewski. That like Max mm. Scherzer, I'm going to go out there and kill you type attitude. That's Wisniewski. So you're seeing that from the very first star in just two innings, four strikeouts in two innings. And then Dansby looks good. Nico looks good. Nelson Velasquez looks good. Corey Ian Happ looks good. Like the guys look pretty good overall. Yeah, I, I mean, all things considered, it's it's uh, it's a nice start. I've enjoyed watching Cody Bellinger a little bit. I know we're already doing the this week you know, comparisons comps to yeah. his. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Luke and the guys talked about that. Well, but, someone you know, has to of, replace Hayward's swing comps. You know, he's, well, we're doing both. I, well, that's the problem. We can yeah. only do one, so it's great. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I really thought one day <laughs> we would be done doing. It. I think you and I are going to be doing that on our deathbed. Um, Hayward will be long since retired, but somehow, some way, we'll be talking we will about still it. be comparing his swing. Those but, hands. Uh, yeah, you know, Cody Bellinger um, in some of these games, you know, taking the ball the other way off of left-handed pitchers. Like, it, it it looks good. It's spring. You know, sometimes these guys are not, you know, major league-ready pitchers. And as we know with the Cubs guys, uh, sometimes they're just working on stuff. Uh, they are not, you know, really attacking hitters in the way that they will come the regular season. Yeah. But still, nice to see in the early going. It's what we have. On Thursday, Pat Hughes was on marquee. Things are nice, right? That's Hall nice. of Famer. Pat Hughes. Hall of Famer, yes. Pat Hughes. Yes. yes. Former Cub and All-Star Ron Coomer was not on the broadcast. Not yet. MLB Hall of Famer Pat Hughes was. Yes. So very nice. Um, where I do want to start, I want to get your opinion on uh, something in particular that I think you're going to have a strong opinion on, and that is David Ross hinting, hinting that he likes Nico Horner at the top of the order. And I say hinting, he literally said, quote, I like him starting things off. I, I, I say hinting in the sense that he's not naming a leadoff hitter. But he basically uh, is. But he clearly likes it, right? Yeah. And I think absent anybody else in the group that we kind of expect to be the regular starters that is a prototypical leadoff hitter, which I don't think the Cubs have, and neither is Nico. Um you know, I, I, my initial reaction is that it makes sense. Um, he's not a traditional on-base guy, right, um, in terms of someone that's taking a ton of walks or, you know, has a high on-base percentage that is uh, not just rooted in him being a high average hitter. Uh, but he does have good discipline. He can foul off pitches. He obviously makes a lot of contact. And my initial reaction, and then I'll turn it to you, like, I feel like he's not someone who is going to change who he is necessarily in a bad way because he is starting off the game, right? And that's something we've discussed a lot as the Cubs have searched for a traditional leadoff hitter or someone to fill this role since Dexter Fowler left. Like, the concern has always been, yeah, I like this guy there. He has some traits that could work there, but is he going to change any part of who he is to fit the mold of leading off the game and setting the table and making sure he's seeing pitches and taking walks and things like that? I don't think Nico will fall victim to that. So I I think it's fine. I, I don't think he's, I, I, he wouldn't necessarily be my preference if they had somebody that fit the position better, but they don't, and I yeah. don't think they're going to. Yeah, he doesn't have the peripherals that scream leadoff guy, and to make the argument that he is a leadoff guy is going to be very difficult. The mindset 
that Nico has might be the best argument. For me, I like it just to give the opportunity off the bat. In a perfect world, he's not your leadoff guy. But given the current roster, how it's constructed, Seiya's on the IL or presumably will be on the IL rather with that oblique, I thought maybe if Bellinger or some other hitter comes up with power that can go in the middle of the order, then Seiya could be that guy because of that mm-hmm. discipline. But you don't see that with Nico. His chase rate... so that's going to be above the league average in a bad way. He also makes a lot of contact. He makes a lot of contact in the zone, makes a lot of contact outside the zone. As a result, his pitches per plate appearance is a little bit below league average, around like 3.7 pitches per plate appearance. The average is around 3.9 pitches. So, you know, it doesn't really scream leadoff guy. But again, back to the reason that it might work is because of his attitude and his ability to adjust and prepare. Brian Smith pointed this out, and I I buy it. I think this is a challenge for Nico. If the intention for your leadoff guy is to take pitches, to generate deep at-bats, to perhaps walk, then I think Nico accepts that challenge. And I feel as if there's one guy on the team to adopt a plate approach change successfully it would be Nico. We've seen other guys in the past years. Schwarber had difficulty doing it in 2017. Hap had difficulty doing it. Several guys have had difficulty doing it. Even Hayward, way back then, many years ago, had difficulty doing it. If I had to bet who can do it on this current roster, it would be Nico. But it doesn't make sense on paper. I think over time that maybe Nico can adapt and that could be good for his overall career trajectory. If Nico can develop more patience with that contact heavier approach as the power increases, then you're talking about a well above league average hitter. Yeah, I I, I think I'm with you. It's it's one of those things where I, I think if he does make any changes or embrace being the leadoff hitter, I, I don't think it affects him in a negative way, right? And I think when we've seen the Cubs do this experiment in the past with just trying to figure out who to put there, you know, one of the main concerns, like with Kyle in particular, it was, was, was he was such a, a slugger, right? Exactly. And like, it, it was he sacrificing that to kind of like fit that mold? And obviously, he's gone on to continue leading off at times for other teams, but kind of leaning into just, I'm not going to hit for average. I'm just going to hit 40 to 50 home runs, right? Which is not really how it went with the Cubs. Um, But, and they were also trying to like continue developing him. It's, It's just a different situation. I think if anything, Nico, if he's just the same hitter he was last year in the last couple years, like I think that's fine from the leadoff spot. Again, it's not exactly what you would pencil in there if you had a completely different roster, but you don't, right? Yeah. And I, I think, again, I think you're right in that he does have the mindset of, I think, accepting the challenge and and really embracing, like, I am setting the table for this offense. And I've seen people already um, on, you know, Twitter kind of co-opting the old Dex thing, right? Like, Nico Wego, right? And <laughs> I, I, whatever you think about that phrase, right? Um, I think Nico can adopt that attitude, right? Of this offense starts with me and I need to embrace that and and be successful in that. And I think he's the right person for that. And again, like I just, I don't, I don't think you have other particularly great options, right? Like there's just other guys that you want deeper in the order, hitting with guys on base, 
um, trying to slug and things like that. I, I am curious, just just out of curiosity, mm-hmm. if they did have, let's say they have 2015-2016 Dexter Fowler on this team, mm-hmm. he's going to lead off, yeah. right? Where ideally do you want Nico <laughs> With that in, offense in a, back then? Or like on this current roster with just Dex involved? Um, in, in an ideal world, let's just put it. So I guess that means sure. 2015 or 2016, I right? Mean, like, you know, where does where does a, a Nico type hitter, someone who is so, you know, average and, and contact heavy, but, you know, the last couple years, the, you know, and obviously 2021 is only 170 plate appearances, but a 106 WRC plus both 2021, 2022, above league average, solid you know contact average hitter where does where do you like that type of player in a more balanced offense you're an above average hitter and you're assuming if you're a playoff team then you have several above average hitters typically some people fans in the past they think oh heavy contact guy bat him second uh line of construction can be generally overrated i'm always cautious saying this but some of the simulations suggest, you know, your top two hitters should be batting second and fourth. Nico is not that guy, right? Right. Batting th- on those teams. On those, t- even yeah. you know, on a playoff team, if Nico's batting, you know, second or fourth, if he's batting cleanoff, you may have some problems uh, because of the lack of power. Sure. Now the question is, or can he can he bat third? Well, it goes back to the same idea of you want guys with power to drive in those men on base atop the order. Nico doesn't have that power, right? So then you start going, all right, what about fifth? Still, you want someone with more power to bat fifth. So in an ideal world, you have a top-heavy lineup, and you still have an above-average hitter, which for Nico, six on a playoff team makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I think, it's not, it's I think, not, it's not condescending. It's just like, that's no, ideally sure. how it works out. Yeah. I, well, and I'm thinking kind of in the years where the Cubs were so boom and bust, like 2018 in particular comes to mind where they were fluctuating between scoring no runs yeah. or a, a decent amount of runs. Like, I think you would want him kind of in that area to break those guys up, right? I, I mean, get somebody like him in there to just put the ball in play every now and again yeah. and break up between the guys who are so boom and bust, you know, striking out or slugging, right? Yeah. Again, yeah. you know, lineup is generally overrated. I like the idea of using yes. a lineup to force a plate approach change, which this is what it is. Some guys are works for Schwarber, other players in history, Hap. Did not work. For Nico, I think it will work. And one other point of curiosity for me is, like, as you were talking about the leadoff spot and not having the high on-base percentage guy, one of the questions I started to ask myself when you were saying that is, all right, well, you know, you have a 330 OBP guy in Nico, probably. Um, he was 327 last year. Would I take a 330 OBP guy with top percentile speed over, let's say, a 350 OBP guy with below league average speed. With the with the bases being bigger, that does make a difference, that fraction of a second. With the shift being gone, I do wonder to what degree will Nico's base running influence the top of the order yeah. compared to someone within the past five years that had better on base percentage. I don't sure. know the answer to that, but I'm curious to yeah. find out. 
Well, and Nico did rate uh, as a good base runner. If you're looking at like that metric on Fangraphs last and year, how many hours did they run into last a year? A lot, a lot. But you know, and Nico stole 20 bases. Yeah. So I think for again, I, I think you know his his on base percentage in his career is is better than league average. He's been a uh, you know an above league average hitter. I'm I'm fine with it, yeah. right? Like I think if we're looking at it from the perspective of are you comfortable with Nico Horner setting the table and in any given game getting the most at bats, right? If the lineup only turns over to him that last time, you know, the fourth time through or whatever and he gets four plate appearances and everybody else gets three, I'm okay with that, right? Like again, he is not in an ideal world, in a in the offense that Jed Hoyer has sort of mythically described, right, as blowing teams out on the next great Cubs team, Nico probably isn't the leadoff hitter. But I think like from a just kind of like I don't I don't want to say narrative, but just the feeling of it, right? Like Nico just I I think is that kind of guy. He can steal bases. Yeah. He's gonna make contact. And I just think he has the attitude for this and to be the person starting off this off, And that's what David Ross said. He used the words to paraphrase what he said here, that Nico's among the most prepared players he's ever been around. Ross has been around some pretty prepared players, you know, Hall of Fame guys, generationally great hitters, Manny Ramirez, David Ortiz, all those Cubs World Series champions. He's been around good players. So that is high yeah. praise from David Ross. And I think this is where... This is where like the analytics versus gut feeling argument comes into play because sure. I'm analytically this does not make sense, but there's 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 limitations in this argument and the idea that using your gut feeling and using Nico's attitude as evidence to point towards a plate approach change makes sense to me. And that that's where I think Ross is right about this. I do wonder if other managers would, would do the same thing. They may just look on paper and be like, you know what? You know, this is a bad idea. But I do like that Ross is able to integrate information and go with that type of gut feeling because it does make sense in a big picture analytical perspective. Yeah, and I think, you know, like you said, when we look at lineup construction, like you keep suggesting it's it's a pretty marginal effect, right? And we you and I for sure have talked about that uh before. I know a lot of people have written about that as well. It, it's one of those things where like if David Ross decided to lead off Tucker Barnhart, then it would be a big <laughs> yeah. deal. Lineup construction would really matter. We're talking about within the, normal distribution. Yes, the the difference between does you know, Cody Bellinger in this lineup hit fourth or does Trey Mancini hit? That isn't going to matter that much. It's a lot of sequencing. You guys know this, right? Like sometimes the inning ends and then that guy leads off the next inning. Sometimes he comes up with the bases loaded, right? Like it's all random and it's likely at the end of the year not going to be something that is immediately impacted specifically by the way David Ross writes it out on a piece of paper. Um, and I think this is one of those things. So like, I'm, I'm cool with this because David Ross has a feeling for it and I buy what he's selling as far as Nico being able to handle this role on different teams, on different rosters, there might be a more clear, like, no, this should be the leadoff hitter, right? Like kind of a vibe like 2015, 2016, 
2016. I And I also noticed, Brendan, we said 2016 several well, times without pointing well, out. Uh, do you want to point something else? Yeah, okay. because we were talking about Dexter Fowler leading okay. off in those years, and yeah. in, not in 2015, but in 2016, he led off when the Cubs won the World Series. Won, won the World Series. Yes. Okay. He also led off Game 7 of the World Series with a home run. Which they won. The, right. Okay. And then because they won that game, they won the World Series. And they were World Series champions, yeah. Um, Like in those years, he was the leadoff hitter, right? He was the best option. It made all the sense in the world. The numbers backed it up. Everything about that pointed to, like, this is your guy. This team doesn't really have that. So I think you have to defer to, you know, some of the numbers, right? But then also David Ross being allowed to play manager, right? Like, that's his job. And we've talked about this kind of being a year where we're more adequately able to judge the job that he does and this is one of those decisions like uh, there may be other guys who you could justify you named you know a few guys right that we've seen Hap do it before can maybe make an argument for things like that um but I think this is one of those spots where like I don't think this is a bad choice I don't think there's a perfect one and you know this it's David Ross's call so let's give it a shot and, um, you know, we've also seen one of the things that I've liked about David Ross in his few years here is that he's adaptable, right? If he gets the sense that this is negatively impacting Nico, his mindset, his plate discipline, whatever it is, right? He'll, he'll switch it. I, I, I believe that. I, I believe that David Ross will not let this derail Nico Horner. I think he's shown, you know, maybe some stubbornness at times with some things, but I think generally he's been adaptive and receptive to things like this that if this if we're all sitting here going what is going on with Nico Horner like what happened to him I I think he'll pull the plug and they'll they'll figure it out but I don't think that's gonna be well I mean he did the same thing with Morel last year and that was one reason why I like the idea I'll do the ad break here in a second by the way but that was one reason why I liked Morel in the leadoff spot because my feeling watching him in those at-bats is he took that leadoff role to heart. And Morel, his walk rate when he came up was like over 12%. And if you look at his walk rate by positional order last season, he was almost 11% out of the leadoff spot. That is that is what you want from your leadoff guy to take yeah. those double-digit walks. And that was what Morel did. I believe it was prompted by Ross having the confidence to put him in that spot and let him go early on in his career. And to Ross's credit, when Morel started to struggle, he made that change. And I felt yes. as if that was at the right, perfect yeah. time for that to happen. So, And they prioritized letting him be in a spot in the order then after that to adjust and calm down and yes right so i appreciated that all right so quick break here from our sponsor DraftKings. chgo is presented by DraftKings sportsbook america's top rated sportsbook you can download the app and use promo code chgo when you sign up baseball season starting first game at the end of the month you'll have Several games to bet, 162 games to bet on DraftKings. You can download the app. Again, use code CHGO. And if you're a new customer, you can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner also of the NBA. With code CHGO, the NBA playoffs are coming up. 
Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Second break here from our sponsor, Goose Island Beer Company. Goose Island is the official beer of CHGO. They've been Chicago's beer since 1988. They have a deep beer roster. They have the Black Ox Pale Ale, which is a limited release. And the Hawks and Goose Island have actually been neighbors for over 25 years. There's a Goose Pub in the UC that's been open for over 10 years. The Tap Room is a pregame destination for Hawks fans. They do lots of charity work together. And they also have the Bull City 312, which is a limited release, and it matches their 2023 City Edition uniforms. They have the 312 Wheat Ale, my favorite, the classic. They have a Bourbon County Stout, Green Lion, Matilda. They have several beers that everyone has their own distinct favorite. And Goose Island has two locations that are open and ready to welcome you. You can grab a beer from their innovation tanks at the Goose Island Tap Room at 1-800-WEST Fulton or get a smash burger and a fresh beer of the week at the original Clybourne Brewhouse at 1-800-NORTH Clybourne. For reservations and pickup, go to gooseisland.com slash locations, Goose Island Beer Company. Okay, so let's update on Saya where we are in the afternoon on Thursday. The latest update. Um, again, if you're listening to this Friday, maybe they have a further update. You know, just pay attention as always. This is the case. Uh, the update on Thursday afternoon from Jed Hoyer, quote, we're not going to put any firm timetables on it, but there are general expectations of what a moderate oblique injury is. That certainly put opening day in strong jeopardy, end quote. Obviously, he is withdrawn from the World Baseball Classic. Very disappointing. I, I feel I, I feel bad for him in general, but like I, I know he wanted to do that. I, 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 you got the sense that he took a strong sense of pride in being able to represent his country, not able to do that. Um, so I, I am bummed for him uh, on that in particular. Um, you know, not great. Brendan, I mean, you and I haven't been on since this developed. Um, obviously, you know, I was in the CHGO studio uh, the other day with Luke Ryan and Cody. So talked about this a little bit. You've heard from Luke Ryan and Cody, you know, kind of the immediate reaction to it. It's not great. Um, obliques are not not a, a good thing. They they linger. They're finicky. It, it's just not good. Um, that being said, you know, I, I think the conversation even can, you know, Jed is saying it's, it's put in jeopardy. I I would think that, you know, uh, he also sort of, you know, strongly hinted there's a a very strong likelihood he'll start the season on the injured list. Again, I I think the fact that the discussion is even like that is... He's not playing opening day. No, 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 no. I'm saying the fact that the discussion is even like that, as opposed to uh, this is not good, it's severe, we're looking at months, this, that, or the other, like I'm (laughs) taking it as a win given the situation, right? Like when we hear obliques in the first place, I'm worst case scenario, right? That's where my mind goes. So I'm taking this as a win for now. I'm totally fine with them being patient, Ross, Suzuki, Hoyer, they've all spoken about how the real thing here is let's take our time, right? Let's be patient. We do not need him back for opening day. We need him back for as much of this season as we can have him fully 
healthy. That is the emphasis from all parties involved, and I'm cool with that, right? This is not good news. It's not a good situation. You and I and, and everybody has talked about how I think Saya, you know, maybe outside of Cody Bellinger looking like the version of himself that, you know, is an MVP candidate, I think Saya is the person who has that highest potential outcome that gives this Cubs team a chance to do more than a lot of people expect them to, right? So this is a bummer, right? There, There's no, you know, I'm not trying to like sell this in any other way other than just saying this is not as bad as I was immediately expecting and um, be patient if he can come back two weeks into the season, you know, like three weeks into the season, whatever, fine. If he can have a strong... 130, 140, something like that games, cool, fine. I, I I don't care about him being there for opening day. Yeah, you know, maybe you're more positive than I am about this. I'm not, you know, negative about it per se, but I am really worried and cautious about yeah. ramping up that timeline. We've seen so many examples in the past on this team. Well, I don't want them to. Yeah, I know. It's just even like talking about, oh, I don't know if he'll be ready by opening day, like, like he's not going to be ready by opening yeah. day. Like it's just it's impossible. No, he'll he'll start on the injured yeah. list. Yeah, that's almost. And I, just, a I sure thing. you know, I think I I have reason to be slightly skeptical about how the Cubs have hand, handled injuries over the past few years. Nico Horner strained his oblique in 2021. He injured it in the summer in mid July. Tried to get back in September during his rehab stint. Had tightness out for the year. Right, yeah. and that started. Not with a degree of severity similar to what we're talking about now. I say that not as like, oh, he's screwed, but as a point of caution that um, I hope that this is not ramped up. And yes. my expectation for, for Saya, I think conservatively, or if you want to be a little bit, um, you know, for your sake of mental health, conservative, sure. maybe like a June timeline like two and a half months. Dude, this is what it is, man. If you have a moderate strain, if you look up past moderate strains, type in MOB, moderate oblique strain, Google, typically it's six to eight weeks, right? So two months from now, it's the start of May, a rehab assignment, two weeks or so, maybe maybe shorter. He hasn't played yet, so maybe two weeks. You're looking at mid-May to end of May, maybe June, if there's any type of setback whatsoever. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and I always think, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm kind of going anecdotally here, but I remember when this happened to Cole Hamels, right, when he was on the Cubs, pitchers, hitters, different thing for sure, right, but, you know, similar injury. Um, I remember him saying that it had happened to him before. You know what I'm going to say, right? I know, I know. Yeah. He told the Cubs media, I remember having an oblique injury before, I tried to come back too quickly. And it got worse. And it, it, you know, there was a setback, all that other stuff. And then he did it again he did with it the again. Cubs. Yeah. He came back too quickly. So that's, I, I, I know why you're thinking that way. Again, I, I am not happy about this or anything. I was just glad that like the immediate discussion was even, even if they're, you know, just blowing smoke, right? They're even talking about opening day, right? Like not just immediately saying this is severe, this is like all-star break. We'll be lucky if he plays at all. Because that's what I am thinking when we first get these reports, that he's 
taken out of the lineup. He was scratched and he's, it's an oblique. I'm like, oh, okay, well, he's not playing at all, right? Like that, that's where my mind goes first. So the fact that it's not that, but I agree with you. The, 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 this is like, I don't know where this ranks on like words you don't want to hear, right? But oblique just isn't one you want to hear. So at this point, you know, be as patient as you have to be and get as much out of Seiya in 2023 that is fully healthy and, yeah. at, you know, as at, at no risk for as much as you can control that of setbacks or further injury or you know him coming back and and having it affect the way that he plays like as patient as you have to be so that you remove all of those things and it's Uh, happened to so many players in the past and it's not they're doing this to get back as fast as possible and they may feel fine right and from a medical perspective i'm no medical doctor but if the player is saying hey i'm fine if the diagnostics are not coming up with a high degree of sensitivity on the injury, then what are you supposed to tell the player? Like sit back for what reason? So I'm just worried with say his personality type. He's a very ambitious guy. He just gained like 20 pounds. He works his ass off. Like I'm worried that he may feel good. The diagnostics may not show anything because the sensitivity may not be there. And he's gonna come back and it's just gonna push it too hard, too fast. It's happened I, too many times. Yeah. So I, I, I do know what you mean, but I mean, at least and things change, right? I think, you know, you get the itch and things like that. But, you know, he did say that he learned from last year, the injury that he had last year and kind of trying to come back too quickly. Um, And he said, quote, when it's a long time that you're out, you kind of want to rush yourself to be back there. And I think that's a problem. You always want to be 100% in terms of condition. So I want to make sure I'm ready to play in terms of this injury if I'm going to be out there. I don't want to rush anything. So that's what I'm going to focus on. Okay, I like that. at, At least in what he's saying now, he's learned from the experience last year of trying to get back out there too quickly how he feels if he's sitting out, you know, and the weather's getting warm at Wrigley and he's feeling good in the cage, things like that. We'll see if he's able to kind of maintain yeah. that patience. But I, I think, I hope the organization knows this, right? I Do I trust them with their medical stuff at all? Not at all, <laughs> right? Like, don't let me get started about Ben Zobris' wrist from a few years ago. I mean, everyone. Because uh, I can go on a rant about that for a good year. Um, Darvish, still, Brandon Morrow. Am I still mad about the Benzobris Chatwood, thing? Not at all. Dexter right? Fowler. Can you guys tell? Yeah. Anyway. You got me going. Um, look, it's it's a bummer. I mean, look, we don't know the, the how long this is going to take. We can talk about when he might come back. We have no idea, right? The main takeaway, though, is this is a bummer because, like I said, one to second year, we talked so much about how we expected a huge year from him. We just had such a strong belief in what he was going to be able to do on the field in 2023, and now that's in jeopardy. And beyond that, just thinking about Seiya in terms of our excitement for him and the potential that he had kind of building on the way that he finished last year and and his overall rookie season— like I said, he, him taking that next step and really continuing to, to make those strides represented, in my mind, Brendan, like the top two or top three things that you'd have to have go right for this team to really outperform expectations. Yeah, I was with you. Like I said, I think number one for me, and I don't expect it, but it's like if Cody Bellinger 
looks like an MVP, which he's done before, then yes, that is number one because you have seen him play at a level that is just straight up higher than It's the biggest extreme. Right? Yes. But I think probably second to that, I mean, there's probably some pitching ones that that you might put ahead in there. I think second to that is Seiya really taking that next step and, you know, not, I wasn't expecting him to be an MVP candidate, but like a re, you know, that real kind of next step and sort of cementing himself as like, I'm a star in this league, maybe an all-star level campaign, something like that, right? And, you know, now that's just obviously significantly in jeopardy. We're having a conversation about just hoping he can get back out there and be healthy and not rushed. It's just a very different conversation than the one we were having a few weeks ago of, you know, what if Seiya is is really the star we believe he can be? Um, so that's a bummer. I'm, I'm going to ask you, like, we have to transition here, right? You're seeing it in some of these games in camp. You mentioned it a little bit. Who 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 gets the time yeah. in right field? How do you maneuver this around? What do you what do you anticipate them doing? What do you want them to do? Who are you watching in these spring games now to see if they can kind of like shoehorn their way into it? We talked uh, with Cody Ryan and and Luke when I was in studio the other day, you know about the effect on on Brendan Davis, and we were all in the camp that you know he it wouldn't really affect him. They're going to continue his development. However, they were going to not necessarily, um, you know, letting this opportunity get in the way of that. But but how are you viewing right field now? As you know, as that may be something we have to answer now. Defensively, it's going to be most likely a challenge for Ross to maneuver. I think if def- if defense is a priority, then you might you might see a different rotating crew out there. Trey Mancini makes sense. Put him in right field not because of his defense, because of his familiarity. Then you have first base with Hosmer. Mervis maybe makes a team. That could be one way to handle this. We've seen Patrick Wisdom get uh, outfield time. We've seen Morrell in center field. Can he play right field? I imagine he might take reps out there. Nelson Velasquez, natural outfielder. Granted, he played mostly center last year, some left field. Defensively, familiarity in right field might be a challenge for Velasquez. All of their current options defensively aren't the best. The other idea is if they want to get Mancini in right field and keep Bellinger in a lineup, Maybe you see Morrell in center, Bellinger to first base, Mancini to right field. That's another iteration they can propose. This is going to be a challenge. For for me, if we're going to talk about extremes, the two extremes that would put this team in a really good position, the first one being more realistic, probably Nelson Velasquez making the most of his potential. He's an interesting guy because... Last season, he got 200 plate appearances, and his barrel rate was in the top 10th percentile of the league. So I was always confused with all the options they had during the course of last season, why Velasquez remained on the team. I thought maybe he was best served to get consistent playing time in AAA, but the Cubs front office felt compelled to keep Velasquez up at the big league level for many months. So that maybe signals they have more confidence in his ability than was perceived from like fans and the public outside looking in. 
I'm curious about that. I think that's more realistic than, for example, Brennan Davis going through AAA extremely fast, showing he's healthy. He has a lot to prove just from a pure health standpoint to be totally confident he can handle consistent playing time at the big league level. Now, if we're going to talk about like the utmost extremes, that would be it. Brennan Davis just breaks out. He's a prospect that he was rated in 2021. He's your top guy overall and becomes a middle-of-the-order bat by September. That's the way to go about this. Realistically, though, I think Mancini gets reps in right field. I think Morel gets shifted around the outfield in some capacity, and I think Velasquez does get an opportunity here to showcase his potential. Yeah, I mean, I I think there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of choices here. Um, you know, we've already talked about third base being a, a position that we're not really sure what's going to happen. You know, Patrick Wisdom has been dealing with some stuff. Um, I think they like Rios. He's, I think he's taken some, uh, balls at first base as well. I think, you know, Trey Mancini is someone you could see in the outfield. They want to maneuver things around. Uh, you know, again, like we've got some tests of David Ross's managing chops, uh, coming up here. This was not one that we were hoping to have him test. I think the outfield was something we felt pretty comfortable. It was going to be three guys for the vast majority of the time, right? Um, depending on how often you wanted, you know, maybe Bellinger in there against a lefty, I guess, right? Um, I mean, maybe and, Bellinger you know, plays right and Morel plays center. Like maybe sure. that's the best uh, yeah. the best form out there, even though Bellinger's a top-tier defensive center fielder. Maybe that's the best way to, to, to optimize your defense. I don't know. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's, uh, there's definitely... You know some some ways to go about that. We we talked about you know how a lot of the guys in the third base conversation all had you know some minor league options. Um, you know they obviously brought in Rios on a major league contract. Um, they like that power from the left hand side. So how do they kind of mix that in there? We'll see, right? Um, I, I think you know this is now we're in a situation where again like we we always talk about spring training not really. I don't want to say not mattering, but, you know, not really digging in so much to results. And, you know, Marcus Stroman is always, I think, the best example, right? Like, as long as he's healthy by opening day, he's probably going to get the ball on opening day. It doesn't really matter what's going on in the Cactus League. He's been in the league long enough. You know who he is. It, It just doesn't really matter. This right field situation, the Cubs third base situation, you know, I, you know, again, someone like Nelson Velasquez, like a really, like a torrid spring, right, makes a big difference for him. We see David Bodie, right, having a, a good spring, which we've seen him do in the past. And, uh, you know, again, like if they're hot, if they're really showing something over this month, maybe that does inform some of these decisions. I think even with an injury like Suzuki, the the front office and and the the staff, you know, likely have a way they want things to play out. Guys, they anticipate being in certain roles, uh, an ideal situation for who's playing where and how everything is working out. Um, But, you know, now you're in that area where, hey, you know, if, if you're one of these guys competing at these positions or who's versatile, who can play multiple positions, you know, now's the time to show it, right? Because I think anything is on the table if something is compelling enough to the front office and the staff to make these decisions and, and earn some playing time. Nick Matrigal, right field. He has an arm, Corey, you know? <laughs> we'll, we'll do the ad break here, yeah. 
All right, a quick break here from our new sponsor, RotoWire. It's baseball season, fantasy baseball is coming up. RotoWire has been a fantasy sports pioneer for over 25 years. If you want to get ready for your draft, they have cheat sheets, custom player rankings to fit all leagues like rotisserie, points based, 10 category, 30 category, a crazy custom setup. You can let their experts analyze all the wild baseball stats for you, like WRC Plus, Barrel Rate, Nelson Velasquez, maybe, Corey. Top-tier Barrel Rate might be a guy that you see on Rotowire. There's mock drafts galore. You can ask the, uh, ask the expert as a function on their website to see who they recommend to draft. There's custom start, sit, add, drop, trade advice, lineup optimizers, all of this integrated in their website. You can also use RotoWire not just for baseball, but for other sports such as golf, soccer, NASCAR, the XFL even. And for a limited time, RotoWire is offering a free two-day trial to our listeners. Just go to rotowire.com backslash CHGO to register. No commitments. They are so confident that you'll like their product and want to invest in a subscription plan that they don't even ask for a credit card up front. So take a peek behind the paywall. And when the trial is done, you can decide if a RotoWire package is right for you. Second break here from our sponsor, Foco. Chicago, you've already got the best coverage for your favorite team, so get fitted out in the best sports gear around. Foco has you covered from Soldier Field to the living room, north or south side with hoodies, slippers, signs, bobbleheads, and everything in between. Get decked out like Damar with apparel from the leader in sports merch and collectibles, Foco. Looking for the perfect gift for the football fan in your life? Foco has you covered with hoodies to fight that Lake Michigan breeze. Check out Foco.com or click the link in the description below of this episode. And for all non-pre-sale items, use the promo code CHGO for 10% off. All right, Brendan. So something we talked about before and, you know, keeps sort of surfacing this one from Patrick Mooney over at The Athletic, Jed Hoyer on a left-handed reliever option. Quote, if someone came into camp, I wouldn't be shocked. End quote. Wow. So they're going to sign a (laughs) left-handed reliever, right? Uh, Nothing is guaranteed, but you know, right? Like, come on, guys. You know what I mean? Like, I, unless he just feels like screwing with the reporter. I mean, sometimes is, he does that, though. And he might, he right? Does like, but this is just, it. this is basically, you know, uh, executive speak for we're talking to someone. Yeah. We're negotiating with someone. We have an agreement with something, something like that. It's just not necessary for him to say. He would say, no, we like our team. This is the group we have, right? Like, um, so we've heard some names. We know that they scouted Zach Britton, uh, someone who has dealt with a lot of injuries and, um, you know, but has also, when he was healthy a few years ago, very successful, very good left-handed reliever. Um, you know, there's some other names out there. I think Will Smith is another name that is out there. Someone, you know, I think Cubs fans should uh, recognize, at least from past encounters. I, I you know, I thought after Michael Fulmer, we were kind of done with this, but appears to not be the case. Um, so I don't, you know, I, I kind of the same conversation we had when they were talking about that. Any preferences? Uh, how do you you feel about this? I mean, obviously, anything that they're going to be doing at this point is likely going to be pretty low, um, low risk, yeah. low, uh, you know, money, things like that. Um, but I, I was just kind of surprised 
to read this, at least a little bit. I know they were interested in it, but I just kind of thought after Fulmer, we were kind of done here. Yeah, I don't have a preference. Uh, I think if you're going to go for top ceiling, Britain makes the most sense. He's a sinker slider guy. The Cubs have had success with certain sinker pitchers, especially going up and in. So let's say, for example, to left-handed batters for Britain might make a good fit for the Cubs. They do have a track record of guys coming back, not only from injury, but kind of getting their careers back on track. Britain fits that profile. Tommy Hadovy likes sinkers. He's had success with so many of those guys, as we always have pointed out over the years. So of Will Smith and Hand and Britain, I would probably go with Britain. I will say, though, if it's going to cost the Cubs $3 million, $4 million, I'm a little apprehensive, but I do default to Jed, who has been pretty financially conservative over the past couple of years, to still make a move like that with having flexibility at the trade deadline if you need a legitimate, no-nonsense reliever. If they can get Britain for that and keep that opportunity open come July, I'm for it. If there's a little bit of a risk involved where you're thinking, oh, you know, if I get Britain, but I may not have the funds available by July, I don't want any part of that. But again, I default to Jed, who's been financially conservative. Ownership probably has a lot to do with that, granted, but I default to Jed making that decision. Yeah, and I mean, I think, um, you know, as we've seen with the Cubs in the past, you know, I think Britain in particular, um, you know, we know they went and scouted him. Obviously, I am not a scout. I didn't see him pitch. If they liked what they saw and, you know, feel that there's any, you know, I don't think you expect him to get back to where he was when he was a peak kind of closer and just a dominant reliever. Um, but if you feel like there's something in there, the velo looked good enough, the the breaking stuff was crisp or had that bite. Um, you know, we've seen the Cubs have success with uh, guys uh, sort of similar to this, right? It's never apples to apples, but like we've seen them have success with this type of thing before. And, you know, I think of like someone like Jeremy Jeffress, right, who the Cubs brought in, who, you know, had been coming off a down year, um, I think dealt with some injuries, came to the Cubs, and in 2020 had a sub-2 ERA, right? He was great, mm-hmm. right? FIP wasn't good, but whatever. You know, we're not—this isn't the, the Fangraphs podcast, um, as much as Brendan would like to turn it into it. <laughs> but um, just meaning that the Cubs have shown that they can identify some of these guys— and find a way to utilize them and have them get outs out of their bullpen and be productive members of their bullpen. So if they feel like they've identified something like that, especially with the, you know some of these guys who have had particularly high ceilings in the past, sure, why not? There's no way it's going to be some big costly thing or risky thing. So sure, add all the arms and bodies and potential that you can, I think, to this group and sort it out you know, as the season goes on, as we've discussed many times, like it's going to take more than 26 guys to have this team be successful. Um, you know, we're already dealing and having conversations about the injury front. Pitching is the same deal, right? Depth yeah. is never a bad thing. Options are never a bad thing. Um, experience in camp to go along with a lot of the young guys that you've seen getting opportunities and showing what they can do, never a bad thing. So I'm all for it. Yeah, um, I think you got to, you know, over the past three years, they've been managing depth with giving opportunities to younger guys pretty well. So I don't think one of the concerns I that, that I always have when you make a deal like this, presuming they do, is okay. What does that mean for you know younger guys like Jeremiah Estrada? What does that mean for a role 
for all those other options that you have currently in camp, like the Nick Birdies and and the the Merryweathers and Kays and Sanders and all those guys. I don't think signing Britain will really change the outlook of those guys, or at least a team picture right. from a pitching depth perspective. Right. Yes. I you know again, and it's similar to other conversations we had, like some of these options just lessen the burden you're putting on some of those younger guys. It allows you to kind of maneuver that more carefully. Try some of the veterans first if some of those guys aren't ready or you want them to have more experience or work on things in the minors or start their MLB career in lower leverage situations, whatever it is, right? Options are good. It's not going to be a big, you know, costly thing. So sure, at this point, right? Um, I do want to get your thoughts on some of the other pitchers. Um, I'm sure you have names that are sticking out to you in the early going here in spring. I'll let you get to those, but you just have to start with Hayden Wisniewski. I mean, Hayden Wisniewski is a, is, is a guy. He's nasty, He's man. Nasty. I told Ryan the other day when we were in the studio, I couldn't remember if it was his video or not, but somebody had a video from like live BP in Mesa from behind the plate, you know, like just sitting in those stands behind the fence. I, like the movement on his breaking stuff absurd. is disgusting. It's absurd. And I, I don't want to downplay like the stuff graders that we have accessible these days. You're all about like AI and like chat GPT and all this stuff. Like that's significant. And the stuff graders that you see come out, those are really significant too. The accuracy and predicting run probability by these stuff graders alone are like 95%, dude. Like we've always talked about for years, Getting to a point where numbers are backing the scout side, they're informing the players, informing the coaches. Well, that's here in the stuff graders that we always talk about. No matter which one you really use, whether it's Max Base Stuff Plus, which is also you know Saris's, or you're talking about drive lines, or you're talking about Cameron Groves, the margin for their differences is pretty minuscule. But for Cameron Groves, Hayden Wisniewski slider ranks as like a 65 to 70 on the 80 scale. That is absurd. That is better than 90 to 95% of major league pitchers. And so when that pitch was debuted with the Cubs, of course you see it right away, but then you see the numbers like, oh, all right, this is interesting. And then you have the cutter, the different breaker to go off that. You have the changeup he's been working on. Then you have the mentality that he's been projecting over the past year with this team. And you have to be excited about it. I always go back to the conversation we had, I think in like August or so when Luke asked, all right, with Justin Steele and Hayden Wisniewski and all these guys, who is the best Cubs pitching prospect? And the ceiling for Wisniewski is still number one. Like I still think it's even greater than Justin Steele. Steele has really pushed his ceiling to a different level since developing in June, July, and August. And his slider is also grading really well. His fastball is grading really well. But where Wisniewski has three-plus potential pitches, Steele does not. And so because of that... I'm curious to see what's, what Wisniewski develops in the next few months. And he's always talking about that changeup. And he told our guy, Ryan Herrera, that when his changeup is on, he feels dominant. And that would give him three unique pitch types that play off each other with 
the ability to pitch backwards, start off at bats with sliders and cutters and changeups, and then use his fastball like other guys use their secondary pitches. And that might be the way Hayden Wisniewski goes forward. That being said, there is concern that if he doesn't have a primary four seam, that he's never going to be that top tier guy. That's possible as well. He has a two seam fastball. Four seam is not rate that well. You may have to make a do with that or be sharp with your command. And that is a legitimate concern. But as the timeline of this development continues, you know, if he figures out a way to change his fastball or change his sequencing, I feel confident that he has the mentality, the willingness to try things out to get to that point. I see with him like a lack of stubbornness with really good stuff. Mm-hmm. and a willingness to actually try several different things combining into a pitcher that can reach his potential. That's where I see Hayden Wisniewski. And you saw that just within those two. It's not to be like exaggerating over just his first appearance, but it's just it reminds you of what we saw last year when he had 33 innings thrown with all those strikeouts with top tier command, his command also was in like you know the 90th percentile. It really makes you wonder. Yeah. So, uh, you know, will be interesting. I mean, obviously there's going to be a discussion about, you know, does he get that fifth spot right out of the gate? Um, you know, I think similar to maybe our conversation about Brendan Davis, you know, again, not apples to apples, but like, I think focusing on what is best for Hayden and how you best What's best for Hayden, and I think you just put him in the rotation. Like, I really, like, I think it, it that's what it is. would probably be my thought. I'm just saying if they, you know, as spring continues, as they're watching all of his pitches and things like that, if they feel like that's not immediately what they want to do, fine. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think I mean, he look just looks stuff. so good at times. I mean, you watch what he did to Julio Rodriguez in the game against the Mariners. <laughs> like, you know, that's pitching against a big-time hitter, right? Like, and he's making him look nasty. Yeah. And I know Brett from Bleacher Nation had kind of cropped the photo of the reaction of Julio as he was walking to the dugout after striking out and was like, oh, boy, like, what was that, right? Um, you know, so that would be my preference, but I, I, I trust— the the Cubs pitching infrastructure to do what is best for yeah, him so in the long run. You know, it's also a situation where if he starts the season as the fifth starter, I I don't think he can make a start every fifth day until the very end of the season. I think you're going to have to control the innings at some point, right? Um, or just make sure you're monitoring that for fatigue, this, that, and the other. So whatever they want to do is fine, but I think he's obviously someone at however it ends up happening you want to see him making as many starts and i think he's going to get potentials off the charts he's going to get innings to do it like whether as a starter as a reliever he'll get the innings like i'm not really worried about that from my perspective the reason why i say hey i want him to start is because i like watching him as a starting pitcher like that's just like a selfish reason why i want that to happen if he's a reliever if he's in if he's in triple a then yeah like you have no reason to distrust this pitching infrastructure at this point like you can't make a convincing argument elsewise i i i think at times though right like we we try to like think about all of that and be logical and rational and pragmatic, whatever word you want to use. I think there are times where it's just like, this guy looks nasty and he's exciting. So just do it. Yeah. Right. And I, I, Sometimes I that's that just attitude. how you kind of, it's just kind of how you feel about things. Right. Yeah. Like, 
you know, I don't care about it. And I, I like Adrian Sampson. It's just an example. Like, I don't care about that, right? <laughs> like, I want to see Hayden Wisniewski. Like, he looks nasty. Just do that. Figure out the innings or however you have to manage that. Just Fine. figure it but out. Just, like, do this as soon as possible. The potential is so much higher than some of those other options. Screw, you know, being pragmatic, right? Yeah. I, I get it either way, however you might want to feel about it. Before we sign off, um, give me some other, you know, I know you've talked about Jeremiah Estrada a lot, but as people continue to watch these spring games, give me some, some other names. Uh, you don't have to delve too deep into them, but other names, um, as bullpen arms or whatever that are kind of on your radar and that, you know, maybe people should be keeping an eye on. Yeah. I mean, the number one guy that, that might be under notice is Julian Merriweather. Cubs got him. He has a rising type fastball. Stuff grazed as a 60 out of 80, change up 65 out of 80. Last year, he also had good command scores, 55 out of 80 on both the fastball and the change up. Slider didn't grade the best. It was still good, still better than league average at a 55 on the 80 scale, but that might be a point of improvement. You're looking at Cam Sanders, velocity. He's been fun to follow, the different career trajectory he's been on. You also have Nick Birdie. He's a former Pirates guy, hasn't really developed, had some weird COVID interruptions because of those shortened seasons. He might be a guy the Cubs are capable of developing. Anthony Kay also has an interesting fastball. He might be a guy, you know, these are the depth pieces that if they work great, if they don't, you still have a big pool from which to choose. It's still interesting nonetheless. Um, I think of all those guys I mentioned, I mean, Julian Merriweather is probably like a legit arm like at this point I think he makes the team just from stuff alone um the other guys I mentioned you know Cam Sanders might be up at some point within the first two months I'm not going to say that's like a real thing or not I mean Greg Huss and Brian Smith and Greg Zumek all those guys have a better feel than I do about that but at least from the current much I'm talking about Julian Merriweather stuff is there the history of major league innings are there the numbers the ERA may not quite be there, but he has a stuff where you don't look at the numbers and the run prevention. You look at the ability to change and make the most out of your pitches to eventually prevent runs. And I think the Cubs have someone in that with Julie Merriweather. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, guys to keep an eye on. Um, you know, I think on the offensive side of things, you kind of know what we're looking at. It was obviously a lot of what we talked about, but uh, before we sign off, a couple things to draw your attention to. Uh, as we mentioned before, uh, you and our guy Ryan Herrera, mostly our guy Ryan Herrera, but I think you contributed um, loosely, I'm sure, uh, <laughs> to a piece on Jamison Tyone. So that should be coming up at allchgo.com. So be on the lookout for that. Also, uh, if you have not checked out the uh, other episodes from this week, uh, there have they've been airing um, as part of the shows some of the conversations that our guy Ryan Herrera had uh, while he was covering the team in Mesa. Uh, when I was in the studio the other day, had a really nice, I think about like eight minute long conversation with Ryan and Matt Mervis. Uh, and then on the Thursday episode, uh, Ryan sat down with Jamison Tyone. Uh, so you can hear those in your podcast feed. They're, they're in the episodes um, as they aired. 
if you want to see those interviews, there is video with Ryan and Matt Mervis and Jamison Tyone. You can check those out on the CHGO Sports YouTube page. Um, as always, we appreciate your guys' support of CHGO and all things CHGO Cubs. Don't forget to use that code CHGO when you sign up at DraftKings. Brendan and I will talk to you again next Friday. Live shows, 120, back starting on Monday. Luke, Cody, and Ryan, of course. As always, we appreciate you listening, and we will talk to you again soon. As always, go Cubs.